0: Moving on to another awful saga.
1: It's Friday, May the 15th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Darach, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Zoom Pub Quiz Star. And with me today are Dutch News Contributing Editor and WhatsApp Ninja, Molly Quell and Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Subtweeter Extraordinaire. <laughs> Paul, uh, you had a magnificent piece of kind of like Twitter um, subterfuge or um, uh, slate of hand going on. Uh, d- d- maybe we should start with that because I, I thought it was highly amazing.
0: Uh, yeah, I-, I think you refer to uh, me subtweeting someone who has been... Uh, or, or, at least, there are, there are more people, uh, I have to admit, uh, yeah. who have been spending the last two months uh, proclaiming themselves as the absolute authority on uh, tackling the coronavirus yeah. and telling everybody what to do and um, advising the government on, on what to do or what not to yeah. do. A, a, um, a lot
1: of uh, armchair virologists, basically. Armchair yeah, virologists. You have yeah, the solution
0: yeah. to.
2: There is a word in Dutch for this, you have to use it. This is like...
0: Uh, yes. Zolderkamer-virologen. <laughs> no, togvirologen. Oh, togvirologen, tog- no. tog- oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's yeah, the, the, Flemish, tog- the Flemish word. No, no, yeah, the CNN
2: tog- said it was Dutch. We are going with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the togvirologen,
1: <laughs> who have the uh, who have the answer to the corona crisis if only the government would listen to them. And now they seem yes, to have changed
0: tack. So, uh, so uh, d- 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 have they not, Paul? Yeah, yes, they have. Uh, they, is, uh, they have switched from tweeting in Dutch to tweeting in English. Yeah. And I ironically uh, commented that the only effect of tweeting in English is now that uh, uh, the number of people that are not interested in these tweets is increased from 17.5 million to one and a half billion people, Yeah. Um, because that's the number of people that uh, speak English around the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was my uh, that was my uh, my uh, my subtweeting highlight uh, this. Uh, it was great this I, week. I thought it was tremendous. Yeah. The person you're referring to, who
1: I won't um, mention my name because uh, then we're transferring the. Subtweeting uh, concept to uh, podcast, which I think is a really good good move. Um, yeah, that's part of the yeah. It's it part of the fun of it. The, the, they were going to really upset that, uh, the other people who were actually qualified to talk about this. we getting lots of invites onto talk shows, so he sort of sent a tweet complaining he wasn't getting into onto talk shows, and just kind of um, copied in all the th- three of these three of these people um hoping that he gets some kind of uh response but he got absolutely nothing you know people just ignored yeah. him people ignored him even harder which i thought was quite yeah, amazing. Yeah yeah, yeah 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 it was almost as if he he, he really <laughs> wants to
0: be on television it's almost yeah. as if that's his ultimate goal but yeah uh uh armchair virologist i i can see his tweets by the way because i'm blocked because i uh, uh criticized uh him um for uh, claiming that uh, Marguerite was committing genocide in this oh, right. uh, whole saga. Yeah, that seems a perfectly reasonable so, um, point of view to me. Yeah, <laughs> I thought so too. Yeah, yeah what um, is this job
2: title, Gordon? I don't understand.
1: It's just because you mentioned being in lots of WhatsApp groups as derived from other WhatsApp groups, but um, but exclude one person. Actually, uh, you, you and I about. are <laughs> in
2: a, whatsa- a secret WhatsApp group that excludes Paul, which just ah, occurred right. to me. Yeah.
1: Okay. What? Yeah. Are we...
2: Well, so I I realized this because I was trying to look up a WhatsApp group that I knew was called Secret, like, name of the oh, original yeah. WhatsApp group. Um, okay. And so I searched for this, right, in my WhatsApp, like, search function. And then, like, <laughs> four, there's, like, five groups that, like, popped up. And I was like, wow, there's a lot of these. And so it just got me thinking about how, you know, you have a group chat. And then inevitably there's, like, a split off where... Yeah some person in the original group chat is, like, irritating or is just irritating on WhatsApp or, like, I don't know – keeps yeah. trying to demand that they go on television to talk about the response to the coronavirus. <laughs> and so a bunch of people from the original group start a second group without that yeah. person that's inevitably yeah. called like secret whatever. Yeah. Um, in order to talk about that person. In order to yeah. talk about that yeah. person.
1: I think we should say before Paul gets too paranoid here that this this group you're talking about was yeah. not set up to exclude Paul, it was set up to exclude another oh, good. another person for, for very for very good and benign reasons. Yeah. So but, but we can't go into that because no, um, into they, that. they'll be listening. They anyway, might be listening. yeah. Yeah, that's
2: true. yeah, it wasn't. In, it wasn't specifically directed at Paul. It was. It was, it was directed at somebody else. Paul's yeah, just collateral damage. I'm collateral was, damage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was just... But what I found the funniest about this is that I know of a secret WhatsApp group that was created from an original group to exclude me um, specifically, but that uh, people that are in the secret group just send me screenshots about stuff that's going on in the secret group. Um, <laughs> it's very entertaining.
1: Does everybody in the secret group know that you know about I d- the secret no, group? I think the yeah.
2: person who originally started the secret group is not aware that I know. But I think everyone else in the secret group is aware that I know.
0: <laughs> but this is an enormous level of sub-secret uh, group chatting because of you know that this secret group chat exists yeah. and you also get information about what's being told yeah that. it's it's uh, it's a whole new level of, of- of, of group chatting I never experienced. What I find
2: <laughs> extra entertaining about this is that the people with whom the secret group chat was started are, like, not good at keeping secrets. Like, the only way that secret mm. group chats work is as if there's, like, some degree of ability to keep your mouth shut about Indeed. it. And, like,
1: in, is on the secret. at least yeah.
2: multiple people in this group do not have that ability. So I don't know why <laughs> anyone thought that this was going to be a good idea. But I find it very entertaining, so yeah, yes
1: Yeah. I, I just want to say, isn't it great that the internet was set up to enable us to communicate with each other? So much better.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of communicating with each other, so much better. Were you on a yeah. pub quiz with Mark Rutter, Gordon? What happened? I was not.
1: In a, no, I was not. I was not in a pub quiz with Mark Rutter. Yeah, that that, that was another highlight this week, wasn't it? Mark Rutter um, was invited to join in somebody's pub quiz in Skidam, and he did. Oh, really? Yeah, and, and he he went for it. Well, he didn't actually join in the quiz. He asked a question. Um, oh, okay. So he was like, just, uh, he oh. just joined in for like two minutes, asked the first question, and then uh, uh, buggered off, which I think was not quite oh, getting into the spirit of things. Yeah, but the fact yeah. it was kind of nice of him. But no, I was. Um, I'm in kind of. I'm one of these people whose social life has improved uh, as a result of lockdown, <laughs> because uh, as, as I think I mentioned before, people are suddenly starting to video chat each other, and that means that because I can never go out anyway, I actually get more social contact than I had before, which is nice. And one of the things I'm doing is a pub uh, a pub quiz uh, on Zoom uh, with a group of people and. It was mentioned on the BBC website um, uh, this oh, really? week. Yeah, there's yeah. so somebody. But it, Why? It's, uh, because, well, I think because it was. Did you? Um, did you any... use the word op We did. <laughs> no, maybe I should try and sneak that in. You should uh, sneak it week. in. I should try and sneak it in. And also, which is another new word. Um, but uh, no, it was. Uh, I think it, it got a bit of publicity because it was. Um, it was set up by people. Who belong to um, like a, a charity slash support group uh, for people who've been widowed, and they did a b- oh. bit of publicity, and the BBC picked it up. Yeah, uh, that was why. So it's all people, oh. yeah, yeah. And in it included
2: system. one of these quintessential now like Zoom screenshots with everyone's like, <laughs> yes. little face in there. Yeah, yeah,
1: and everybody waving. You know, yes. it's, it's like one of those kind of sort of 70s game shows like Jeopardy yeah. or something. You know, when everyone sort of waves <laughs> as, as a credits one in roll. That box. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So that was cool. it. Yeah, but we haven't nice. haven't had Mark Rutter take part. And obviously, the first question when I saw that Mark Ritter story was, um, should we invite Boris Johnson? And the immediate answer was no. Because oh. so, it, it's based in the UK. This pub quiz. So t- talking about. Um, oh, so, speaking man. Of, uh, yeah, so speaking of speaking um, of uh, undesirable invitees, uh, that brings <laughs> us rather neatly rounds to the op for of the week poll. Uh, so it was so <laughs> hard
2: for me because th- obviously this has to do with America and how much of a fucking embarrassment <laughs> it is but I had a hard time deciding whether or not this was all or like an actual thing to be actually upset about but in the end we concluded <coughs> that it qualified as all pef. so
0: yeah. well I concluded yeah, it qualified it's as all pef. so because it's my segment this and true. uh
2: Go forth, Paul. This is Take my it away. Little
0: kingdom. So uh, the OPF of the week comes from the United States Embassy this time, uh, which is located in Wassenaar. I uh, I was on a bike trip uh, last week and I passed by it and I was struck by how enormous that building was and how tight the security was. Uh, but uh, moving on, uh, on Wednesday, U.S. Ambassador Pete Hoekstra posted a picture on Twitter of him eating a bunch of bitterballen with nobody less than Robert Jensen. The caption read, "A got to catch up with the Jensen show host Robert Jensen and hear his thoughts on COVID-19, China and what the media could be doing better to cover it. We both agree it is hashtag Tijd mm. which means um, time for the truth. Yeah. Um, Ironically, the two men in the photo are, well, two of the most notorious fake news spreaders in the country. Uh, Ambassador Hoekstra, who was born in the Netherlands but served as a member of the U.S. House of Representatives, said in a speech in 2015 that the Islamic movement had put the Netherlands into chaos. Quote, there are cars being burned, there are politicians that are being burned, and yes, there are no go zones in the Netherlands. End quote. And none of this uh, is true, by the way. Uh, And in a very surreal interview in 2017, uh, this time as a U.S. ambassador to the Netherlands, he claimed he never said these things, calling it fake news. But after he was shown a video of him uh, actually saying it, he denied ever calling it (laughs) fake news, even though he did it just minutes ago. Um, Robert Jensen, for one, is a Dutch radio host and TV presenter. His talk show was uh, revived in 2019, focusing more on uh, right-wing topics, and uh, he started to invite all sorts of right-wing and populist politicians, such as Geert Wilders and Thierry Boudet. Uh, The show was not renewed for a second season, which Jensen blamed on the left-wing media, but in reality, his show simply did not attract enough viewers. Uh, He then turned to YouTube, where he started an Alex Jones type of show, with him basically ranting in a microphone for an hour and selling merchandise such as an orange t-shirt with uh, Nexit printed on it um, no, no magical water yet I, I, I haven't seen no, that yet didn't. in his store it's a matter um, of time I think It's just a matter of time, indeed. Um, His show has been heavily criticized in the past months for spreading countless inaccurate claims, false information, or outright lies about the coronavirus. And in one video, fact-checkers found 27 false or misleading claims about the coronavirus. So it's kind of ironic that these two men um, are using the the hashtag uh, time for truth. Um, Yeah. uh, I have to admit. So
2: when I first saw this tweet, I saw the hashtag, and I forgot that varhide means truth. And I as- just sort of assumed that it meant what the closest thing is in English, which is like war or like <laughs> warringness. And Warhead. I was like, yeah. "Wow, that's really insane!" And then I realized that it was time for truth, and I was like, "Oh, this isn't so bad. It's fine, I guess." Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, but it's uh, yeah, it's kind of ironic that um, these notorious fake news spreaders yeah. are um, yeah. fighting against uh, something that's uh, that they call fake news. The
2: ambassador once called me a liar to my face, so that was also exciting.
0: Yeah. yeah, but that wasn't fake news, probably. No, no pr- probably not. It was that one does. of these rare examples of him telling, telling the actual the truth. truth.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like yeah,
1: even a stop clock tells the right time twice a day. Exactly. Yeah,
2: it's true.
1: This week, we report on the first baby steps back to normal life as Dutch primary school children went back to school. The political world also got back to something resembling regular business with a debate about the bombing of civilians in Iraq. And there was even some sporting action, even if it was in the courtroom rather than on the football pitch.
2: The reopening of primary schools, daycare centers, hairdressing salons, and other, quote, contact professions this week has proceeded smoothly, Prime Minister Mark Ritz said yesterday. Schools were closed on March 16th and reopened on Monday for kids for halftime. Uh, most schools are admitting children every other day, but some have gone for half days, despite the government's urge to stick to full days to make it easier on children and parents. It is like the start of a new school year, said Bert-Jan Commissaris that's a head teacher at the Postdoc Primary School in Amsterdam.
0: Um, so my sister is a primary school teacher, uh, but her school, her classes are... Um, she, she has uh, only 15 students. So. Uh, 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 th- she can fit them all in a classroom, so they uh, they are the very unlucky ones that have to go to school all day, ah. every day.
1: Although well, lots of kids are uh, 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 really quite happy to go back to school, they're kind of missing their friends, and you know they were just uh, fed up with being ignored by their parents at home all day. So uh, it's, uh... <laughs>
0: and and being uh, uh, having very bad teachers around. Yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, terrible teachers. Do not, saying they as... don't understand the math problems. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, also, just like the kids. Yeah, but I think this sentiment will will switch. Uh, within a week I have yeah, to say uh, <laughs> probably yeah because uh, also after a school holiday you, all, you always um, or, or when I was a kid I always yeah. uh, really wanted to go back to school but when the moment was there or, or when you were three days into into going back to school then uh, yeah, yeah it's I the was I already wanted to go back to the to the holidays yeah um, but Molly, there was also some question about if kids would actually uh, show up, if, if parents would allow them to go to school. Uh, how did that turn out?
2: So according to research by the School Heads Association of AS, thousands of pupils did not show up at school in the first days after they reported. Some 90% of schools had at least one missing pupil, though some of that was due to them having other health issues. Um, so it's mm. not necessarily because of corona. Um Nevertheless, overall teachers were happy with how things had gone. Teachers were also absent in about half of the schools, but just a handful of schools had to take other measures because of shortages of staff. Schools have drawn up one-way systems and color coding so parents can drop off their children while keeping one and a half meters apart it was too complicated for me one mother told uh, Dutch News <laughs> I will leave them at the top of the street and let them get on with it that sounds familiar yeah it does right <laughs> um,
1: yeah
0: but it's, it's good that there the, that there is some flexibility allowed right yeah. That if you don't feel yeah. confident or healthy enough to go to school as a teacher or as a kid or as a parent then yeah. um, uh, you can just stay at home no. so yeah, or if, uh, yeah
1: or if you're just worried or concerned because yeah, usually the rules are very strict and, right. and the Leerplicht um, to now will come and you know come around your house with a big stick if your kids are missing school so it's good they're being a bit, bit more flexible um, you know because of the circumstances
0: and, uh, and what about what I care about the universities Molly
2: Dutch universities have announced that they plan to teach courses wholly or partially online until February 2021 the University of Amsterdam's economics and business departments have informed students that all courses will be taught online until the end of the first semester in February because quote no one can predict what the beginning of a new academic year will look like I feel like that's always true but that's exactly i don't know why
1: that's particular particular to coronavirus uh
2: university is reporting planning to continue with online courses as is lida which has actually discussed the possibility of making the move more permanent but paul TU Delft has not made an announcement as to their fall plans yet so i can't give you any uh information
1: uh that's too bad Uh. that's too bad how would you feel about uh if things did move
0: on uh, online more or permanently paul um would it make much difference to you particularly well, I'm graduating now, so I'm not really dealing with uh, with all the online courses currently. Right. A lot of my courses were already recorded um, uh, uh, in the past, uh, and I always found that for, uh, better because when you are in the in the classroom in the lecture hall, then uh, the information is coming to you quite fast, and sometimes you don't really uh, uh, get it, or you have to yeah. you know uh, th- uh, think about it uh, uh, longer than, than than the teacher think that you you need to. Um, then it's better to have it recorded because then you can play it back so uh i always prefer courses that are recorded but yeah uh, you you miss the social context definitely in the in the in the lecture halls and uh also in the university so that's the that's the part i am uh, i am missing and also a lot of courses are, are 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 practical you do a lot of group work for example and that's also something that's um, you currently are missing because so, some things you can just not do over Skype or over Zoom or whatever you are using so yeah mm. yeah you can't really be a producer mixing. online can you
1: uh, uh, I, 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 I guess I guess I guess it's more of a thing for like first-year students or new students because they already find it quite difficult and especially international students find it really hard to integrate when they arrive at university and to find some kind of social contact with uh with their dutch counterparts and that's going to make it much much harder if uh, if they don't meet physically in person at all or or much
0: less so yes so uh, also for them it's um uh, it, w- it would be better to reopen the universities. But yeah, if, if it's not possible, then it's not possible. It's no, just something exactly. that we're going to have yeah. to deal
1: with. What else will be happening this week in terms of the uh, c- uh, coronavirus uh, measures?
2: Uh, three national screening programs for cancer, which had been put on hold because of the coronavirus outbreak, are going to be restarted. The health minister announced earlier this week the hospitality industry lobby group, KHN, has drawn mm-hmm. up guidelines for cafes and restaurants for them to follow once they are partially reopened on June 1. Um, according to the guidelines guests will have to wash their hands when they enter a cafe or restaurant answer questions about their health staff can also refuse customers if they suspect they might have coronavirus symptoms so you know they're trying to figure out trying to get things opened up again trying to figure out how they're going to be able to open up some more it's, you know seems like progress is being made I suppose did yeah, you guys go out more this week than you did in, uh, in previous weeks
1: not especially, no, no, no. Have you booked a haircut yet? That's the thing I really would need to do. I
2: have booked a haircut. Uh, I <laughs> did, did, you, did you give... book it
1: at? Like, did you book it like at uh, like sort of ten past nine on My Monday morning? My
2: hairdresser messaged me during the press conference um, to tell me that the first <laughs> available <laughs> slot he had was May twenty second, um, right, which is a long way off. Somehow Neil's got a haircut before I did, which I'm kind of salty about. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I will be going in about a week to get a haircut. And I i guess I feel okay about it. I'm not like super worried or anything. Um, but I do think it will feel weird to sort of go out into the into the real world.
0: Um, I, I forgot who, who tweeted this, but there was someone. Uh, it, I don't think it was Ben Coates, but I'm not sure. Uh, he tweeted um, about Dutch politicians. It was who, Ben Coates. It was it was it was ben, yeah. ah, he tweeted. He tweeted that uh, 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 he enjoyed the tweets of Dutch politicians who sort of showed their before and after Corona haircut uh, photos. Um, that uh, they were very excited to go to the to the hairdresser, and then uh, the after photo was no different than yeah. the <laughs> yes. before photo. So, yeah, yeah I, I I really enjoyed that tweet. I mean, mm-hmm.
2: Mark Rutte has gotten a haircut. He was one of these people. He posted a little clip about I don't know entrepreneurs or something, but. You could basically tell in like, his little sideburns that they were getting, like, real fluffy and out of control. So, I mean, no, there I you could sort of notice, like, I, I think a difference. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it'll be interesting to see uh, how many people decide to, like, stop dyeing their hair or, like, styling it in a certain <laughs> way, like, after, after all of this is over. Because you sort of were forced to. So, so.
1: yeah. Yeah, maybe you decide you don't you don't look so bad after all. Yeah, yeah. Somebody, somebody in my street, and um, uh, I, I noticed uh, that the other day had about sort of four different colours in their hair because oh. they, I don't know, all <laughs> they got to that stage where all sort of different levels of dye were growing out. It was quite, it was quite amusing. But, uh, so I So imagine they'll be out to the pair hairdressers Some hairdressers, of course, opened at midnight on like a yeah. Monday morning, didn't they? They did like a thing. That was sort of reminding me of the days when. Um, the Harry Potter books launched, yeah. and uh, like some bookshops <laughs> opened at midnight. This is the same kind of thing. You got like sort of like sort of yeah, there's some magical hairdressers. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat>
2: yeah. If I if my hairdresser had opened at midnight and I had had an appointment, I would have gone at midnight. So yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: Coronavirus cases and deaths are continuing to decline in the Netherlands. 302 people died of the virus in the last seven days, and the number of newly reported cases is down to below 2,000 a week. That's compared to 1,300 a day at the peak of the outbreak just over a month ago. We know the real total is considerably higher because it only includes people who've died in hospital. However, the RAVM published figures this week showing that the death rate in nursing homes is also coming down from a peak that was around about the 16th of April. Testing of care home workers and residents has also been stepped up in recent days to try to catch more cases. And the CBS uh, uh, statistics agency's figures are also showing that the excess death rate, or the office has been coming down. Uh, In week 18, which was two weeks ago, 3,299 people died. That's still 500 higher than a year ago, but in week 14 the gap was more than (laughs) 3,000. so yeah so so it's been a very sharp steep sharp peak and then it's been coming down quite fairly rapidly since then of course the big question is whether these numbers are going to keep uh, declining at the same rate now that uh, we're all starting to ease the
0: lockdown yeah, that's uh, that's the big question. Uh, yeah. Of course, that's the million dollar question. Um, and what is the picture around the provinces? But Because there are some uh, major differences uh, showing, yeah. right? Yeah, there's there's some big regional variations. So like Kroningen
1: and Drenthe now last week had less than 10 new infections. Uh, so the, the, there's virtually no corona there in the north at all. Uh, Friesland was also on very low numbers, but they had a little mini spike. They went up to, well, f- 48 cases. And that's mainly because there was an outbreak at the Asylum seeker Centre in Snake, during the week, which obviously is bad news. Lots of refugees all living in, uh, you know, very very, um, uh, close quarters quarters to each other. It's very hard to keep one and a half metres apart. And they discovered uh, a couple of them had corona. So they tested the entire, as i say, and discovered that I think 20-odd people tested positive. So, oh really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. As I suppose, on the one hand, I suppose because uh, asylum seekers don't go out into the community much, then it's it's, it's likely it will be confined within there. But still, you, know, you you want to make sure that they get uh, um, yeah, proper healthcare and treatment, yeah. so it doesn't spread any further. Because uh, that's one of the things they were warning about right at the start, wasn't it? If it got into an asylum seeker centre, it would be very hard to keep under control. Yeah. So let's hope that uh, that clears itself up uh, yeah, soon. Yeah.
2: Presumably, those are people who are probably more at risk because they've been through, you know, physical trauma. In order to get well, here in the first yeah, place, yeah, there but. is
1: that aspect. I, I guess it's sort of. Um, on the other hand, I suppose there aren't so many elderly people in the care yeah, centers, so it's kind of yeah. There the are pluses and minuses, but yeah, obviously there will be vulnerable people in that group. Um, and uh, yeah, it, 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 it's a concern. So, uh, uh, Utrecht and Flevoland have also had small upticks, um, but the biggest provinces, uh, North and South Holland and North Brabant, have all seen uh, significant uh, declines. North Brabant's now got fewer cases a week than Utrecht now, which, when you think it was the start of the outbreak and they had enormous numbers of cases in the beginning, is quite quite an yeah. achievement.
2: No good news for them. Yeah. Um, and there's also some uh, some other sort of good, not bad news, at least. How's that?
1: Yeah, sort of mixed, but sort of uh, uh, yeah, uh, veering towards a positive. Uh, the regular flu season's been relatively mild this year, and flu experts say that's partly a knock-on effect of the corona measures. People not going out so much, not mixing, washing their hands more, has meant that they're not spreading other infectious diseases as well as corona, and that's knocked down the flu numbers. Uh, there's been fewer cases of gastroenteritis and other stomach bugs, and infections in four-year-old children are down by eighty wow. uh, percent because they're not they're not going not into schools. those you know sort of yeah uh, schools and especially nurseries. If you've had children in nursery, yeah. you know those are basically they're, they're basically like sort of uh, incubators for germs, effectively. So the fact they're not uh, going there is um, it, it has helped uh, with their general physical health. Uh, there has been a spike in cases of diarrhoea, so it's not all good news. Um, and also traffic, uh, traffic deaths haven't gone down, even though there are fewer vehicles on the road and there've been much fewer accidents. The number of people dying is still around about the same as it was. Uh, for the oh. last three years, um, and this have been uh, there's, there's an expert on NOS uh, from the area, Donkers, uh, suggesting a few possible reasons for this. Uh, one thing is that people in the 70s and 80s who are on e-bikes have um, are more likely to have been uh, killed in the collision in the last well, few weeks.
0: No surprises there.
1: Yeah, well, I guess it's kind of surprised that they're more likely than they were before because they're always a bit built vulnerable, around oh, on, uh, on yeah. e-bikes. Um, yeah, oh. well, is there a
2: rationalisation for that?
1: Yeah, it, 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 no, I haven't heard it. No. Hmm. It's, uh, as to why mm. they suddenly become more. Maybe they're going out more on their e bikes. Maybe they're. Um, like traveling was, longer
2: distances, maybe? Because they can't know. take public transport?
1: It. C- it could be they're not going on the bus yeah um also also more and un- more children under 10 uh, have died and that uh, they think is because they've been they haven't been at school so they've been out playing on the, the streets yeah, yeah. um and uh, donk has also said that the empty streets had encouraged some drivers to just go faster because they see a empty stretch of road in an urban area and they just they, they just put their foot down yeah, and, um, oh, yeah. so yeah it's so, that's so
0: not such good news On Monday evening, five men died in a surfing accident in Scheveningen after strong winds and thick sea foam apparently caught the group off guard. Uh, Two of them died after they were pulled out of the sea by rescue workers, and two others were found dead on Tuesday morning. The Dutch Royal Navy uh, had been searching the water in Scheveningen with several vessels and and an underwater robot using sonar, uh, but they announced that they will stop searching for him after yesterday they uh, couldn't find him either. Um, Eyewitnesses said the group was preparing for the start of the surfing season. Uh, The surfers were experienced and included two surf school instructors, according to NOS. And some of them also worked as lifeguards. Uh, That's what the Telegraph wrote. Uh, The Hague mayor, Johan Remkes, told reporters at a press conference that a thorough investigation into what happened uh, would now take place. Uh, He said, how can it be that people with so much experience and who knew this place so well came to die? Uh, in total, 10 people uh, are thought to have been in the water at the time, a group of six, a group of three, and one single surfer. Uh, Three of those who died came from The Hague, and two others were students at Delft University. Um, Yeah, and the fifth one is uh, is still missing, and uh, they're not going to continue searching for him. uh, Unfortunately. Yeah,
1: it's all very bizarre. And is it a serious theory that they might have somehow kind of suffocated in in the sea
0: foam? It's uh, that's that's a running theory, but uh, it's 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 such a freak accident. It is basically because nothing like
1: that's ever been. What I was reading was. Was it? Was it? No one never heard of anything like that happening before with sea foam. It was it just wasn't seen as a, as a hazard in that way.
0: No, but it, there was uh, apparently, apparently in it,
2: some places it was two meters tall.
0: Yeah. yeah, it was a is a wall of sea foam of two meters, and it was sort of combined with this weird uh, wind direction, which sort of uh, uh, probably created some sort of very very strong current, which uh, dragged the, the surface into this yeah. wall of foam. And yeah, the uh, it it really just sounded like a like a freak accident with with very unusual circumstances. So yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a huge strategy, and yeah, and there were quite
1: uh, a few people, and it was a very localized thing as well, wasn't it? So quite a few people out surfing that day. There were very strong winds, and it was a bright day, so it was quite attractive for surfers. And these were all, as we should stress, very experienced surfers. They weren't just people like surf, people sort of jumping on the board for the first time. And there were people sort of surfing, like sort of fifty meters or a hundred meters away, further down the beach, and they they, they and they weren't affected at all. They, they barely even noticed the foam. So it was a very localized area
0: yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah and, and a lot of people who were in the water were part of the same uh, surfing club uh, yeah. so a, a lot of the people who were there and who who, who witnessed the accident were uh, yeah, it was basically a huge group of friends who uh, who lost mm. uh, five of their friends. Uh, so yeah, a, an enormous tragedy. And uh, the city council of The Hague held one minute of silence on Wednesday, uh, and dozens of people went to the beach in Scheveningen to commemorate the five victims. And they sort of stick flowers in the sand. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was it was a really nice gesture. And also, flags were put half mast on on many houses in Scheveningen, and yeah. members of the surf club hang their wetsuits on half mast on their houses. So so that yeah. was also uh, a very touching gesture, uh, I thought. Yeah. Um, and the shore, that's the surf club where the five men uh, remember after they put a sign on their building of five uh, white fish on a black background. Uh, and that's a reference to uh, the Scheveningen Code of Arms, which also contains of three fish, I believe. Yeah, so yes. yeah it's, it's, it's um, th- the community is... Um, uh uh yeah devastated by this loss and it's, it's indeed a very tragic uh f- very tragic uh, uh accident and and these two uh students of delft university they were also a member of one of the fraternities here and i uh passed by that building yesterday and uh, there were also a number of flowers um, laid in front of that building so yeah a lot of uh, uh, a lot of sorrow and a lot of uh, tears uh, in, in delft and the Hague and in scheveningen
2: yeah, yeah it's a there. real tragedy
0: yeah,
1: just a real shock tragedy as well. Yeah. I think yeah. you, just, you just don't expect to happen. If you enjoy keeping up to date with the latest news while you're waiting for your hairdresser's waiting list to clear, why not sponsor us on Patreon? Bringing you these weekly roundups costs us time and money, not to mention the fact we urgently need to stock up on blankets after six weeks of lockdown. And you need coffee. And I need coffee as well. I really yeah. need coffee. Yeah. Yeah. It's You've been rough this trying morning. to record
2: this podcast this morning.
1: It has been a really tough podcast, I know, and I'm I'm really sorry for my failure to buy coffee (laughs) earlier in this week. To show our appreciation, we'll give new patrons a shout-out on the podcast and a chance to ask us a question. We're also very grateful to our existing patrons who have kept backing us through the corona crisis, which we know has had a big financial impact on a lot of people, so thank you to everybody out there. This week we welcome two new patrons. Uh, firstly, Karine Foyer, which I hope I pronounced correctly. We don't have a question from Karine, but thank you very much all the same. And also to Daniel Shi, who tells us he's doing a postdoc at the TU Delft. Uh, so we seem to have a lot of uh, sponsors from uh, the TU Delft. Oh. Yeah, he's lived in the Netherlands for three years. He also doesn't have a question, but he says, quote, "Your podcasts make me feel like in the good old days, having drinks with a bunch of friends and chatting about random things on Fridays." Uh, which is almost accurate, except that we're not really friends, um, and we're not. Having, and we're not drinking because we 7 don't o'clock. like each other yeah we've all set up secret <laughs> app groups to exclude each other uh, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> uh, but it is Friday so that bit of it's
2: true that's true
0: that, that bit is true yeah but thank you for your support and the topics we discuss are not totally random I think no but...
2: I mean we do have a script so I guess yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: We tend to veer off into increasing uh, degrees of randomness uh, as, uh, as the podcast goes on. At least it's not as random as Robert Jensen's uh,
0: podcast. Mm.
1: Yeah, or, or certain people on Twitter who, uh, who've become <laughs> Torgvierologen. <laughs> if you'd like to join our motley crew of podcast patrons, go to patreon.com slash Dutch News NL. And ask us a question.
2: Because please I, ask us uh, a
0: that's, that's always very nice.
2: Even if it's a stupid yeah. question. Just Especially ask if us it's question. a stupid question.
0: Yeah, those are the best questions. Yeah, yeah th- those are the best.
2: The tax office has now admitted to singling out people with dual nationality for extra checks. We have discussed the child benefit scandal at length, if you want to go back to listen to some of our previous podcasts about it. Hundreds, possibly thousands of parents were ordered to pay back benefits after the tax office decided that they had made fraudulent claims dating back to 2014. Last year, a government committee said all the parents should be given compensation as well as having their benefits backdated. But this was the first time that the tax office has confirmed that it did use dual nationality as an indicator of potential fraud. And that could suggest why most of the families caught up in the recent benefit scandal had ethnic minority backgrounds it's particularly interesting because the dutch government is not supposed to be keeping track of this information so they actually had to like put in a bit of effort to include this data into their like model about fraud
1: yeah it's almost as if they were deliberately targeting people from uh, ethnic backgrounds funny yeah? how
2: that works yeah, uh, this is extremely serious and a smack in the face of society, said MP Leita. We were promised things would be cleared up by now, but after all of this time, this comes out.
0: Mm. Yeah, this is one of these ongoing sagas, just like the uh, Havija saga, which we'll be discussing in a yeah. bit. And it's really infuriating, and I think if there was ever a topic that is eligible to become a um a parliamentary inquiry then uh, this is definitely it totally. i think so um i hope that parliament will finally st- and the tweede Kamer will finally start uh, doing a bit of effort to sort of get to the bottom of this because this is just one of the most infuriating things that i ever heard about uh just a government agency that almost deliberately is trying to financially ruin an enormous group of people yeah. it's just too scandalous uh, focus. No, it, it just makes no sense. And another point that Renske
1: Leiten, uh, I think, made in the course of the week was it's just a really stupid way to, uh, to go about things. If you go looking for bad behavior, fraudulent behavior, just in one particular group of people, that means fraud in in, in the wider society, in the majority group, is just going to go undetected because all your efforts are focused. You have this prejudice yeah. that, that fraud is only committed by one particular ethnic group and you only focus on that one ethnic group, then actually the number of fraud cases you don't catch is going to be very, very high. Yeah, the number of fraud
0: cases you do catch, uh, then then the group you are targeting to is overrepresented in the statistics. So that will be a self-fulfilling prophecy that you think you are doing the right thing, even though that's not necessarily true and most likely not even true.
2: So what I thought was sort of interesting about this is when this one was posted on the Dutch News Facebook page, a lot of people were like, well, of course this makes sense because people with dual nationalities have more opportunities to cheat on their taxes, which... I guess maybe there could be an argument to be made for that. But, of course, like, your dual nationality has nothing to do with your ability to get the kinderopvangtuslock. Like, it's about where your kid goes to crash. And, like, that's it. So, it was very strange to me that this was like an argument that people were even considering using for reasons other than like racism. I mean like clearly this is racism. Yeah
0: and also perhaps even the, the targeting isn't that bad but just the assumption, the immediate assumption, the categorical assumption that these people must commit fraud even though it's very likely that they just made a mistake in their forms or yeah. they uh, sort of missed the document or whatever and without even giving them the opportunity to clarify or to give them the opportunity to explain themselves. No, just categorically deny their, their right to these benefits that's just the, the, the most awful yeah, thing. Yeah, that that's is.
1: the other thing, is that they had absolutely no right to appeal on this, and of course they didn't even know that they were on these lists, because officially these lists oh. didn't exist. The worst thing about this is it, it's not just plain old racism, it, it's institutional racism, it's not just one yeah. or two yeah. people with racist attitudes exactly. in the belustian yeah. deans, it's actually the entire structure is set up to discriminate against um, a, a group of uh, society on the basis of their ethnic origin, which is completely unacceptable, so the, the trade of karma really needs to do a full inquiry to this and
0: also it, uh, there was also a little bit of uphef about the support package that the government has uh, has started to support companies to you know overcome the corona crisis yeah. that they will not be making exemption for companies that are located in a belasting paradise in a, in a tax haven yeah. Yeah. but instead are doing a moral appeal to these companies yeah. to sort of not claim this aid and you know given the fact that we have a tax office that <laughs> has no moral yeah. has no moral <laughs> compass yeah. what's whatsoever in this in this in this saga it's totally
2: insane sure i'm really
1: fascinated by the sort of the the dutch government especially the financial department's concept of morality here now where vodka Hoekstra is saying that you can't give money to italy which has been hit by enormous pandemic crisis because that would be a moral hazard on the one hand and on the other hand you say we'll give money to people who are located in tax havens but just make a moral appeal to their good nature
2: yeah i mean is it possible that if they didn't do it this way then no business in the netherlands would be able to get the money because the netherlands is in fact a tax haven it's not you see it's not
1: because it's not on the european union's list of tax
0: havens because of course that doesn't include european union countries
2: funny how that works
0: (laughs) it depends on uh, how large your company is if the netherlands is a tax haven or not. Defense Minister Anke Beileveld survived a motion of no confidence in the Tweede Kamer on Thursday after a debate on the 2015 airstrike on the Iraqi town of Hawija. The target of the airstrike was an Islamic State Bomb Factory, which was located in a residential area. The bombing, which was carried out by Dutch fighter jets, resulted in the destruction of hundreds of buildings and the deaths of over 70 Iraqi civilians. It was the fourth time parliament debated the airstrike and it was the first non-corona related debate since the outbreak of the virus, which indicates how important this debate was. Initially, the Defense Ministry denied any involvement in bombings resulting in civilian casualties in Iraq. but NOS an essay revealed in October 2019 details about the Dutch bombing in Havija, including the number of deaths. Uh, the reason for the high number of civilian deaths was that the ISIS bomb factory had many more explosives stored than initially thought, resulting in a huge secondary explosion which resulted in the destruction of the neighborhood. The American terminology for this is collateral damage, month. yes, Yes,
2: that's what we
0: call this. Yes, it's a euphemism. Yeah. Beileveld was summoned to Parliament three times before, the first time to explain why the ministry kept silent about the bombing for four years, and the other debates came after revelations in the media about additional information and details details, much to the annoyance of many MPs who blamed her for trying to cover up mistakes and accused her of not being transparent enough. Thursday's debate came after NOS and NSA were handed a report by the US Department of Defense following a Freedom of Information Act request, even though Heilefeld had told MPs the report was classified and the Americans were unwilling to share it. Uh, in the report, the Americans warned the Dutch about the risk of bombing that particular site in 2015. This
1: is a really bad look for the government, isn't it? It's like the information really having to be dragged out of them before they'll admit anything.
0: Yeah, even though they, Beileveld keeps promising to be more transparent and to be more open and uh, disclose more information on a proactive basis yeah. and, you know, every time there is a revelation and then she has to go back to Parliament again and survive a motion of no confidence. Indeed,
1: yeah, it seems to be like a circular thing. So what was her defence on this occasion?
0: Um, she told MPs that protocols regarding the planning of the bombing and damage and risk assessments were carried out correctly, even though some of them were changed following the bombing in Havija, uh, Just like all the other debates, she promised to be more open and transparent, just as I said earlier. But the MPs are, of course, not very confident as she will keep her promise based on the earlier experiences of her breaking that exact promise. Uh, And she also said uh, that she cannot give all details because operations are planned based on secret information from numerous intelligence agencies and they are, of course, uh, naturally not very willing to share all their information. So it's a little bit difficult for MPs to sort of keep the government uh, to account on on these sort of issues because, yeah, there is a lot of secrecy and a lot of intelligence uh, involved in it.
1: Yeah, it it, it does feel like uh, Bielefeld is kind of hiding behind the defense of, uh, you know, this information is classified and we can't get it. And then uh, somebody puts in a freedom of information request and they get the information, which sort of implies that the Dutch government or the officials, you know, in the the Defense Department just aren't asking the questions. They're not prepared to ask difficult questions to their American counterparts. I don't know, perhaps because they're worried about uh, spoiling the relationship. But 70 people have died here. It's a legitimate reason to ask hard questions.
0: Well... At least 70 people. At least the, 70 the estimation people, yeah. sort of a yeah. uh, 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 range from 70 to 150, but 70 mm. is the minimum amount. But yeah, what you say, um, I understand that when a minister of some sort of small country, such as the Netherlands, goes to the CIA and says, Yeah, we want this report because, I don't know, uh, this MP, Peter Puk, from the mm. partij, from the Wat <laughs> requested, then that the CIA says, No, we're not going to give it. But yeah, it's, it's just really strange that if the NOS knocks on the door of that exact CIA, request that that report well they didn't hand it immediately it took some time
1: well they they put in a formal freedom of information request which shows they have the right to have that information if they ask for it and you know it's not the Netherlands being some random small country here they're the partner in the military operation so they're fully entitled to, to request this information Yeah,
0: yeah, indeed. And yeah, it's just not a a, a good look Mm. for the minister if she says we're going to be open and transparent and proactive and then, uh, yeah, she uh, fails to enclose this information.
2: Speaking of bad images for the government, what was uh, Rutte's involvement in all of this, uh, Paul?
0: Well, that's unclear. That was also part of the reason why uh, I think the third debate was on this question because former defense minister Janine Henness told reporters she had told the prime minister and the foreign minister about the bombing in 2015, uh, but both of them denied... That they were told, and or they say that they don't have any recollection about it. Hannah said she hadn't notified them in a formal ministerial way with a communiqué, but she said she told them somewhere in a hallway or some sort of in passing by, mm-hmm. uh, without an alarming tone. She she said, but it's it sounds very unlikely that a prime minister who has such a highly developed political antenna wouldn't be alarmed by the news yeah. that a mm. Dutch striker killed 70 civilians, that he forgets about it. That's very unlikely, and that's also what the Tweede what the Kamer suspect. So that was the reason why he was also summoned to Parliament to sort of explain himself, but he kept insisting that he had no re- recollection about it. But he did tell journalists after that debate that the Americans uh, did not know exactly how many civilians died in the bombing, and that the number uh, of 70 was simply a rumor, but U.S. defense statistics clearly showed a peak in the number of civilian deaths that day of the bombing of exactly 70. So that sort of uh, showed that the Americans were aware of how many civilians uh, died in that bombing. And that number was later also confirmed by the Pentagon to Beilefeld, for which she later apologized. So again, one of these examples of the ministers promising to be more open, and then all of a the sudden, uh, they're not doing that at all. Yeah, having to explain information that's come
1: to light from other sources than the government, which is always very awkward. And of course, uh, Beilefeld uh, now, although this uh, bombing happened when Janine Henness's minister, of course by Dutch convention Beilefeld has now assumed responsibility for the mission so she's the one in the firing line and she uh, she faced another motion of no confidence on Thursday
0: yeah indeed even though she wasn't the responsible minister at the time of the bombing um, she still damaged herself by this continuous stream of not disclosing enough information and not telling the entire truth and these uh, media revelations so she is also damaged right now in this saga directly uh, in my opinion but she did survive the motion of no confidence uh, just yes she did Barely, yeah. And this is the second time she was almost sent home. Uh, remember that. Uh, this time the motion was supported by 69 MPs. That's only two MPs less than in November. And it was supported by almost the entire opposition, excluding SGP, uh, Van Haga and FVD. But during the debate, and that's an important indication, desa Sussestig and Christian Uni, who are coalition parties, they were very critical about her. And that's quite unusual for coalition parties. Mm. And it really shows that this is the last chance they are willing to give uh, this minister. Yeah. So she really has to be careful. Yeah,
1: it was really striking that these successful MPs were really uh, going in quite hard on uh, on Beilefeld. I mean, I did wonder, I thought, you know, obviously no junior coalition partner um, is going to try and pull the rug under the coalition at the moment because of the corona crisis and the need for kind of national unity. But, you know, if that wasn't the case, if this was normal politics, is this a kind of issue that could actually bring down a coalition government, do you think, Paul? Uh,
0: I don't think it's something that these parties would be willing to let the coalition fall apart. I think maybe the belastingdienst affair which we just talked about it might be something, uh, a reason, I think, or maybe the combination. But yeah, it's sending a minister home doesn't necessarily mean that the coalition will no. fall. It happened before. There's a precedent for that. If this minister is just very bad, then the coalition can just have a sort of gentleman agreement that this person has to resign or else we will vote her away. That yeah. that can happen. Yeah. So no, I don't think it's something that the coalition would fall for, I think. But Beileveld really has to be careful that I'm sure of... Uh, because otherwise you will have to go um, in the near future.
1: So another saga that is going to keep going probably um, and maybe intensify once the corona crisis has died down a bit.
0: Yeah, definitely, yeah. Especially if new information will emerge yeah. and you bet sure that uh, a lot of journalists are trying to uh, to find new information about this.
1: Well, and also NOS and NSA have really been quite hot on this story as well for well over a year. So, And they keep uh, digging out more information, so you'd expect more to come to light from that uh, that corner as well.
0: Yeah, that, uh, the NOS and NSA, they were the, the ones who came with the re- initial revelation about the severity test. Yeah. And they indeed have been um, uh, on top of this story uh, for almost a year now. And they were the ones who came up with this news about this American report. So yeah, they are doing an excellent job in this dossier, indeed. And they've been out to Iraq. They've been interviewing survivors.
1: They've obviously made all the contacts there. So uh, I'm sure there's more to come. Sports news, and for the first time in three months, there was live sports action on the television last night. Uh, did mean, either of you watch?
2: Sports in quotation marks, yes.
1: <laughs> well, there was, there was. It was sport, and it was live, That's and it true. was on television. That
2: is, these things um. are all true. They're, <laughs> they are true in the literalist sense. Yes. Yeah.
1: Now, I think at uh, this stage, you know, given that there is literally nothing happening on the football field, you, 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 beggars can't be choosers. You know, you, you, you got you to take what you can. And, and this Definitely. was the closest thing we're going to get to live <laughs> sport for some months, I think, or certainly till September. It was, of course, Cambu, Leovarden and de Kravskap who were playing off for a place in the Caire Divisie, not on the pitch, but in the courtroom, because they were taking on the Canfé Bay, the Dutch Football Association, uh, challenging its decision not to promote them from the Juppeler League. Uh, where they were in first and second place when the season was abandoned a couple of weeks ago and arguing that therefore they should be allowed to be promoted at the expense of RKC Wahlwijk, who were miles behind in the uh, uh, Eredivisie and almost certain to go down, uh, along with Adder and Haag. The judgment was broadcast live in a special edition of Studio Sport, complete with studio analysts, but not um, uh, the person who you would have thought would have been the perfect analyst for this uh, particular set of circumstances, Dick Lawyer.
0: No. Why was that...
1: Uh, don't know. Hmm. But, uh, the, the, the I missed him. There, really?
0: Uh, yeah. I think uh, Pierre Van Hooydonk was the one who was uh, commentating on the verdict wasn't he?
1: Yeah, yeah, he was. I have to say, uh, I, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't watch it in the end because uh, my son insisted on watching Ant Man instead. Hmm. So he had a, f- uh, he had <laughs> a, he had
0: a fabulous Corona haircut. Brilliant. Yes, it yeah, was. I can
1: imagine Pierre von Hove would have outstanding corona hair.
0: Yeah, it was. It was. It, it went all way all directions. It was. Uh, it, it was very <laughs> impressive.
1: I suppose it might be very effective in keeping people one and a half meters apart.
2: Speaking of which, did anybody see this uh, this photo from uh, a German cafe that was forcing people to wear oh. pool noodles on their heads That's so exactly that they what I was thinking stay? Of. Yeah, so yeah. funny. Uh, uh,
0: and, and what did the judge decide?
1: Oh, well, a district court in uh, Midden-Nederland, uh, based in Utrecht, uh, said it was a hard blow for the two clubs, but the Canfé Bay had applied its procedures correctly, and that was all the court could really rule on, and so the application was dismissed. Another so case no... of,
0: uh, of correctly followed procedures.
1: Basically, yeah. 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 Um, so no promotion for Cambuur and de Graafschap uh, uh, for next season. They haven't decided if they'll exercise their right to appeal, so could still go to a replay, um, but it's not looking likely. Ad de Graaf, managing director of Cambuur, said the judge was very clear that the Canfé Bay was entitled to its decision. There is another chance for them to force promotion at the annual spring meeting of professional clubs, which is on June the 18th, if they can persuade a majority of the other clubs to support their cause. Mm. That's not the only football game being play out in court, by the way, because Fitessa Arnhem are seeking an injunction against the owner of their stadium, the Gelvedoma, to cut their rent in half. The club plays reported 1.8 million euros a year to use the stadium, but now that they won't be using it again before September, they argue they should pay less. Uh, Fitessa Arnhem also made losses of 16 million euros last season, uh, so uh, yeah, um, might be in a lot of difficulty if they can't have a rent cut.
0: I'm always surprised to hear that stadiums are not owned by the by the clubs themselves. It just, yeah, uh, yeah, but they,
1: they, yeah they, they often sell them and lease them back. That's a very common thing for oh, football really? clubs to do. Hmm. So I don't know if that happened here. I think actually no, this is purpose built and they they've never owned it.
0: Hmm, could be. But yeah, uh, or or usually the gemeente is uh, is the owner or something. Some uh, that happens as well. Yeah, it happens a lot as well. Yeah, yeah. So uh, is there any other football news? Uh, there's been a little bit of transfer
1: talk, but, uh, no actual transfer action. Um, I actually confirmed that Donny van der Beek will be allowed to leave the club in the summer, but only if a club matches their valuation of the player, which could be a problem, uh, because the transfer market is, uh, well, had, uh, has, has just, uh, fallen Has it been hit forward. by
2: coronavirus? Yeah, been
1: hit. yeah, I think it might have been hit by coronavirus, especially if he works. wants to go to... Especially, if he wants to go to Spain, uh, which obviously, uh, but there's no football at the moment. Uh, the 23-year-old uh, had been linked with a move to Real Madrid at the end of last year, uh, when a price of 55 million euros was mooted. The question now is whether the club will have to accept a lower fee because of the state of the transfer market. Defenders Nicolas Teliafico and Serginho Dest, and goalkeeper Andreo Nana, have also said they want to leave the club before next season. Hmm. Uh, one player who is on the move is the Netherlands' best goalkeeper, uh, Sari van Feyendal. The World Cup finalist has signed from Atletico Madrid women's team for PSV Eindhoven. She wasn't oh. sure of a first team place in Madrid and at PSV she'll play in next season's Champions League uh, assuming of course that that goes ahead.
0: Yeah, that's still unclear if the Champions League goes ahead, right?
1: Yeah, it's uh, not clear at all. And obviously this is a Women's Champions League so um, I think that they'll pull out all the stops to make sure that the Men's Champions League uh, will will be played because it makes such an enormous amount of money for everybody. Yeah. Um, uh, the women's version is obviously less lucrative so uh perhaps it's um, less be- certain because huh. sexism because sexism in sport
2: yeah absolutely we can just end on that just me saying because sexism. <laughs> <laughs> that's the end of the podcast
1: <laughs> that's what we have for you this week this podcast is a production of dutch news which can be found online at dutchnews.nl we will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes you can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl and if you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnews.nl and earn yourself our undying gratitude and a free shout-out on the podcast. My thanks to Molly Quell and Paul Peters. I'm Gordon Darroch and we will be back next week.